Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. Today we are going to bring to a conclusion our Christmas series called Love Wins. And I want to do just a quick review of the last two weeks and then we'll, we'll get on with today's message. Okay, week one, we made it plain. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a saying, nice little saying, God loves you. But it's something else when you really believe that. When you believe that before you were born, God knew you, he loved you, he was excited when you came about in your mother's womb, he had a part of that. And even when you ran from him, he still loved you, so loved you. Think about this. Even though he created everything, he allowed himself to be crucified by his own creation as a statement of his love. Well, how do you know that's crazy love? Yeah, uh, you may have done some crazy things when you were dating. Maybe you still do do some crazy things to show your love for your spouse. I remember uh, when I was dating Rachel, this has been about 12 years ago now, uh, I drove eight hours to spend two hours with her. Right? I have no regrets over that, all right? It was well worth it. But listen, that's, that's not nearly as crazy as what Jesus did to show his love for us. Can you say amen? And uh, here's, what, here's what the Bible says about God's love for you. Once you enter into relationship with him, his commitment of love towards you, Paul said it this way, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor debt, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can somebody say amen to the love of God? And then last week, we talked about God's love flowing through you, all right? The way this is supposed to work is God loves you, and that the evidence that he loves you, is you can now love other people in a way that was deeper than you could before. And last week, in particular, we talked about hindrances. What would keep that flow from happening? And I had some wonderful testimonies. People got a hold of me and said, Pastor, thank you for that message. I, I, I forgave such and such, or I let go of this and let go of that. And uh, what a wonderful way to spend Christmas with some freedom in your soul. Can you say amen? John said it this way, all right? Dear friends... Let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Today, I want to talk to you about what does true love look like. Now, we know true love looks like Jesus coming to the world. But what does it look like in a practical sense of how we're supposed to love each other? Jesus told us a familiar parable to help us understand. We're going to look at it today. Luke chapter 10 And it starts in verse 30 with these words. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, it would appear that this man was Jewish. Why? Because where was his starting point? Jerusalem, which was the home for the Jews, all right? So he was most likely a Jewish man. We don't know why he was traveling to Jericho, but what we do know is along the way, he was beaten by some robbers and left along the road half dead. Now, that road was very well traveled, so it was inevitable that some people were going to come along and see this man in his peril, and it happened. 
It says a priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, if it says a priest, we're talking about a Jewish priest. Remember that this man was most likely Jewish. So a member of his own congregation, if you will, laying along the road, all right? He passed on the other side. So too a Levite. What kind of a Levite? A Jewish Levite. When he came to the place and saw it, passed by the other side. Now, we don't know exactly what these men were thinking that caused them to see this man half dead and excuse themselves. But I'd like to imagine a little bit some things that they might have been thinking that excused them from taking care of him. Would you be willing to think with me? Yeah, how about this one, all right? Uh, They were on their way somewhere and in their own mind didn't have time to stop. All right, how many of you, most times when you jump in your, your car, you're headed somewhere? Okay, my wife calls me a man on a mission. What that means is if I'm going to Mars to pick up some bread, all right, I'm going to Mars, I'm going in to get some bread, and I'm leaving out, and I'm going home. I'm a man on a mission, all right? The problem with being a man on a mission or a woman on a mission is sometimes if you're too missions-minded, too time-oriented, you might excuse yourself from the man on the side of the road who's half dead and dying. Come on, don't look at me like I'm the only one, all right? All right, listen, it's important. We can't be too busy to overlook need that's around us. But you say, Pastor, there's there's so much need around us. Where, Where do I even start? Well, thank you for asking. How about this one? How about that you start with the need that's in front of you? Okay? You think that priest was at any accident he was walking by that man at that moment? Was it an accident that the Levite was passing by the man at that moment? No, they, they, were, they were, if you will, put there by God as his messenger to take care of him. They blew it. About a month and a half ago now, maybe it was a month ago, early December, um, I saw someone had contacted the church and said, could, could you help us for Christmas? She left a number. I gave her a call. Felt like her, her, her need was legitimate. Her husband had um, hurt himself at work. He'd been off for a while. They weren't even asking for bill money. They had fallen behind a little bit. But they were just asking me, I just want to get my two girls something for Christmas. So, so I called Rachel and I said, why don't we just take care of this one ourselves? So I, I dropped by some gift cards because it was the need that was, yeah, it, it, it was just in front of me. He, he, here's a thought worth pondering. All right, I really like this, all right? And the thought is, do for somebody what you wish you could do for everybody. Can you take care of every dying man that's along the road? No, but can you take care of one dying man that's along the road that you go by? You see, sometimes we excuse ourselves. and Well, we say, well, I I can't do it for everybody, so I'm not going to do it for anybody. I don't like that thinking. Because if everybody that thought that, that walked by the dying man, he's going to be a dead man. Okay, look at it again. Look look at it up on the screen. Do for somebody what you wish you could do for everybody. Amen? Now, it's interesting, talking about being too busy or excusing ourselves on one's way, it's interesting that Jesus' life was full of interruptions which became 
ministry opportunities. Now, I want to run through just a couple of these just to remind you of them. All right, One time, Jesus was teaching in a house that was full of people, and some men wanted to bring a paralyzed man to him. They couldn't get him in, so they went up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, and lowered him down. All right, Now, now think about this. If you're Jesus, and you're trying to give a, you know, a nice Sunday school class here of, of a house full of people, and suddenly you know, stuff starts falling out of the roof on the crowd, how many know that's a major interruption? What are you doing, guys? I'm trying to teach a class down here. But Jesus felt like the man paralyzed was enough of a need to pause. And the man was lowered down, and what did Jesus do to the man? Yeah, he healed him. The interruption became a ministry opportunity. And I wonder how many times if we would just, when I say slow down, doesn't mean you have to walk any slower, but slow down in, in just looking around you and wondering if you're not somewhere at some strategic moment that if you would just pause and minister, God might do something. Come on, anybody listen this morning? Jesus was interrupted one time when he had heard that John the Baptist had been killed and he decided to go and just just spend some time in solitude, grieve a little bit. But a great crowd followed him, didn't even give Jesus a chance to grieve. But what did Jesus do? The Bible says he had compassion on the crowd and he used the interruption as an opportunity to minister. One day Jesus was walking down the road and blind Bartimaeus, annoyingly, Jesus, son of God, have mercy. Even the crowd was like, shut up, Bartimaeus. This is annoying. But what did Jesus do? He said, bring the man to me. And then the crowd turned around and was like, oh, he called your name. You better go see him. You understand? But Jesus took time. How about one time when Jesus was trying to take a nap? Yeah, the sea was a little swelled, you know, but he was trying to get a little rest. The disciples, Jesus, we're going to perish. I'm going back to bed. Figure this out yourself, guys. No. He calmed the storm. And lastly, one time Jesus was on his way to minister to a dying 12-year-old girl. And a woman with an issue of blood pressed through the crowd, yanked on his coat. And Jesus takes time. Who touched me? Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Come on, do you get it? These priests and this Levi, come on, these are supposed to be godly men. These are supposed to be representations of the Lord. Uh, I'm busy. I got things to do. When it could have been a powerful moment. What does love look like? Love looks like you walking around this earth and being willing to be interrupted to minister to somebody. Amen? Amen. All right. Why else? Might have they not stopped? What else was going through their head? Well, how about this one? Number two, it looked messy. It looked messy. Think of the priest and Levi. I mean, they're in there, uh, and this isn't what they would have looked like in, in, the, in the time, but just, you know, they had their ministerial collar on. They're looking pretty sharp here. Man, if I, if I stop and take care of a bloody man, I mean, I'm going to get messed up. You know, what, what's the congregation thing? Like, if I get up to preach and I got blood all over me, you know, that's not going to be good. So they excuse themselves, right? Can, can I help someone this morning? Say, go ahead, Pastor. Ministry to which we are all called is messy. You know why it's messy? Because people are messy. Well, Pastor, I, I got my own mess to deal with. Yeah, we could all make that excuse. The priest and the Levite could have made that excuse and left the man dying. What does real love look like it's willing to get messy. Hey, we have a number of uh, 
people in our church who do foster care. Think about the mess of allowing someone else's kid in your home. That's messy. But it's real love. A number of years ago, my friend Karen Scott was here. She sang. It was about Easter time. You may or may not remember. It's been quite a while. But after that, after that, a year or two later, her and her husband got involved in foster care. Now, they have one biological daughter, but this is what their family now looks like. And she, she writes about just the difficulty of, 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 you know, dealing with kids who've been wounded, dealing with the court system. I mean, it's just battle after battle. But her and her husband choose to stay in the mess in hopes that they can bring Jesus to some of these kids. Come on, somebody. See, it is possible that when you're saved for a while, you, you can forget of the mess that you once were. It's possible that you can look at somebody who's exactly who you were 25 years ago and you're like, I don't want to get involved in that mess. But if you really thought about what you're saying, what you're saying is, I, I wish myself wasn't saved. You're, you're ungrateful that, come on, you understand what I'm saying? Don't forget the mess Jesus walked into when he saved you, yet he was willing to do it. I'm very grateful for those who do prayer counseling in our midst, Katie and Kim and Reggie and my wife that are willing to step into the deepest messes in people's lives to see Jesus set them free. So there the man is, he's half dead. The priest and the Levite somehow excuse themselves, but that's not the end of the parable. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, what's unusual about the Samaritan being the one to stop? Because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. I mean, it should have been the Jewish priest who took care of the Jewish man, the Jewish Levi. But the Samaritans and the Jews didn't get along. Remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and the disciples came upon him? They were very surprised that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan because they didn't get along. All right? So notice, the Samaritan is the one who has compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on wine and oil. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. So notice it was the Samaritan, the least likely man. How, how many of you know that you can wear an I Love Jesus shirt? and still walk by someone in need. How many of you can come to church? I heard the story of a, a, a guy who broke down. This was, this was quite a number of years ago before cell phones were, were in force and broke down right outside of the entrance to a church and marveled that car after car made the turn into the church and no one stopped to help him. Now, I got to be honest, I don't think that would ever happen at Eastern. I really don't. We have, we have people who are true servants. I think somebody, if someone was out there, would stop and say, can I help you? Come on, somebody. Amen? All right. So, so just because you look like a Christian doesn't mean you know how to love like a Christian. Amen? James said it this way. He said, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
Can such faith save him? Now, if you'd have asked that Levite or you'd have asked that priest, are you men of faith? What would have they said? Oh, yeah, I'm a priest. Let me straighten out my collar. But suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If anyone says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Now, we don't send people away and say, keep warm and well fed. We just say, oh, I'm praying for you. Prayer's a good thing. But sometimes people need more than prayer. Right? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Is dead. Paul said it this way in Galatians. He said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Is faith important? Yeah, faith is important. I mean, you're not going to have the flow of love into your life unless you believe in Him. But ultimately, the evidence that you have faith is not that you carry a big Bible. It's how you love. Amen? Amen? Want to know what love looks like? How about this picture? This is my son, Jared. You see half his face there. That's Casey in the background. Scotty B, I see you're here this morning. Scotty B, wave your hand at us. Down at Westside, they're down there every Wednesday night pulling a wagon full of soup that Casey makes and just serving most of the drug addicts that are out on the streets down there. It's one of the most dangerous uh, communities in the city, but they're down there. Here's another shot of them praying with somebody. Matter of fact, it was about a month and a half, maybe two months ago, my son Jared told me that they end up at this one intersection that there was a lot of drug dealers, a lot of drugs, and they always serve the drug dealer soup. And normally the drug dealers will kind of shut down for a couple minutes and eat the soup they enjoyed so much. And he said this particular Wednesday, the head guy, the head drug dealer was there, and he said, look, we're going to show our appreciation for Pastor Jared, how he always ministers to us and the guys with him. He said, we're going to tithe to Pastor Jared. So, so all the guys pulled out their drug money, and he walked away with $170 in drug dealer tithe money. Uh, um, now, now listen, you know, I mean, the argument of, you know, what, whatever, but the fact that they were touched by an act of love that would cause them, come on, somebody. How many know the love of Jesus can even reach a hardened drug dealer? Come on, absolutely, 100%. Going back to our story, the most unlikely candidate to love in this story was the Samaritan. But he was the one who loved. What's the point Jesus making? He said, look, don't, don't make this about outward. Look, I look like a Christian now. Glory to God. No, the evidence that you're a Christian is really your ability to love. You know, what, what, what does love look like? Listen, you, and by the way, you don't need special credentials to love. What does love look like? It looks like all of you about ready to head out these doors in a little while, sharing the love of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it. Amen? Now, there's a chapter in the Bible that's called the love chapter, where God kind of spells out what love looks like, makes it practical if you want to know. Anybody know where the love chapter is? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's take a look. I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll break it down, okay? So what, what is love? What does love look like? Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. 
It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Could I say it this way? Love wins. Come on, somebody. Amen? let's, Let's break that down a little bit. All right, stick with me. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're about to get convicted. All right, say it to me, Joe. Yeah, I'm about to get convicted, all right? I'm I'm, I'm not out of this, all right? Love is patient. Listen, how did you react the last time you were in a line that you thought should be moving faster? Come on, somebody. We, We live in a very impatient world. You know what that says? That says a world that knows very little about love. Notice, patience isn't like 12 on the list. First thing, love is patient. Would your spouse say you're patient with them? Oh, now it's real quiet. (laughs) What does love look like? Love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. Man, this world just needs an infusion of just simple kindness. Thank you. Can I hold the door open for you? How are you today? Did you have just a smile? Come on, somebody. Just some kindness would make such a difference. How about not using social media to vent? That would be kind. Just remember, with the same judgment that you measure others, you yourself will be judged. Love does not envy. Listen. Can you congratulate the person who got the position at work you thought you deserved? Doesn't envy. Can you bless your much younger brother who just bought a bigger house than you? Can you rejoice with someone who just got a raise when you just got laid off? This is not an easy component of love. Now now listen, listen to me for a moment, okay? The answer to today's message is not... I gotta try harder to love. No, no. This this is supposed to flow through you. This is supposed to be natural. So when it's not natural, when we're struggling with patience, when we're struggling with envy, it's the evidence that we are trying in our own strength, in that our own love falls short. And it should bring us to Jesus' feet where we say, God, I need what you have. Come on, somebody, listen. If all you're doing all day is walking around saying, I need more patient, I need more patient, I need more patient, that's what's going to happen, all right? We, we, we need God to download in us what he has because his love is patient. What he has is what we need. And wouldn't it be wonderful if this was just natural, if we were naturally given God-given patience and God-given kindness? Come on, somebody. Amen. Love does not envy. Look at this verse in Philippians for a moment. Paul gives us the answer to that. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he quotes this very, he writes this very familiar verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, that's a very popular verse to put on a T-shirt and use in a very genetic way. Hey, man, I can run this race and beat you. You know why? 
Because I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Come on, I can, I can, I can you understand? It's used most times to, to say uh, I need help in doing something that I can't do. But the real context of this verse is when I look around and see uh, that maybe, maybe other people have a lot more than I have or I'm going through a time when it's a tough time in my life, I can have peace because I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength in that moment not to envy but be content. Do you get it? Love is not proud. This thought helps me so much. How can I make myself something when God, in becoming Jesus, made himself nothing? The Bible says he emptied himself. Emptied himself and became a man. Humbled himself. How can I lift myself up when God lowered himself to save me? Come on. It's a powerful thought. Love is not proud. What what does love look like? It looks like a millionaire sitting next to a homeless man and having mutual respect for each other. It looks like the most popular kid at school choosing to sit at a table with the outcasts because he wants to make a statement about what value really is. It looks like you when you serve and you don't care what anybody else thinks. But you want to be like Jesus. How many of you were at the men's and women's Christmas banquet uh, a couple of weeks ago that we had here, beginning of January? I wish I had taken a picture. I did, and I didn't think about it at the moment. But as we were getting ready to go and eat, there was a group of people up there who were getting ready to serve us. And they were, they were standing in the line at attention like the, like the Marines getting ready to dish it out. And it was just a beautiful picture saying, we want to serve you and we're happy to serve you. That was a godly thing. How about this? And love is not rude. Well, pastor, they were rude first. Okay, I want you to think about this. If someone else's attitude can change your attitude, in other words, I was having a good day until you came in. Okay, if someone else's attitude can change your attitude, in that moment, they are your God. Because they just changed your behavior. Come on, who are your eyes on? Who are you listening to? Paul said, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Love is not self-seeking. It doesn't need to have you at the center. Can I give that a modern application? Say, go ahead, pastor. Love is not selfie-oriented. Come on, when I look at your Facebook page and all I see, now look, I, I want to see pictures of your family. I, I want to see what you're up to. But if all I see is you and... But pastor, I'm a, I'm a social media influencer. Okay, what are you trying to influence people to do? Come on, I'll move along. Love is not easily angered. Not easily angered. Listen, friends, there comes a point where you have to stop blaming others for your anger issues. Anger is a defense mechanism. It's when you feel like things are getting out of control, you get angry to make everybody stop trying to gain back in control. But listen, you and God can't be in control at the same time. Someone's got to win that battle. Come on, lay it down. What does love look like? I know it doesn't look angry. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you know some people 
keep all records of wrongs. And they bring it up when they need to, to kind of put you in your place and remind you of your flaws. I want to ask you something. Do you really believe Jesus can transform somebody? Do you, do you believe even someone who's a Christian that's been a certain way for a long time can be transformed? You know what the problem is when you keep records of wrong? You're, it's like you're saying, I don't believe you can change them, God. It's, it's really lowering who God is. If, if you believe God can change anybody, then you can just forget about it. Hey, I'm just going to believe they're going to be different next time. Come on. Are you listening? Amen. For those of you who are married, if you are always throwing up the past to your spouse, please stop it. Pray for them and give them room to grow. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Come on, somebody. Love wins. Here's what I want to do to close out service today. Worship team's going to come. Wayne's going to come. Going to open up these altars in just a moment. And I'd like you just to spend some time before you head for home and just just sit in the presence of God or come to these altars and just say, Father, would you fill my heart with more of your love? Would you empower me to be more patient, to be kinder? God, would you help me as I walk in this world not to be so focused on a mission that I walk right by a ministry encounter that you wanted me to walk into? Remember who walked by that dying man. It was a priest and a Levite, somebody that should have been the ones who stopped. But it was a lowly Samaritan who really demonstrated true love. At the end of that parable, you know what Jesus said? Jesus asked them, who who was the real neighbor in the story? Oh, it was the Samaritan. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. That's what he says to all of us. Can I tell you what this world needs in 2022? Say what, Pastor? I need some Christians showing the love of Jesus outside of these walls. Come on. Would you bow your head right now? I want to pray for you. Then I'm going to release you. If you you want to come forward, kneel, stand, or just stay in your seat and just, just reflect on this. Father, Lord, I, like everyone else in this room, needs a greater infusion of the love of Jesus. Our own love is limited what we can do. Our tendencies, we run out. We, we get impatient. We, we run out. We, we become angry, unkind. And the answer is not trying harder. The answer is opening our heart and saying, Jesus, would you give to me what you have? Lord, you, you've got incredible patience. Would you download that in me? God, you're incredibly kind. Would you share your kindness with me, Lord? God, forgive me for my tendency to keep track. Would you remind me, God, that you can change anybody? And Lord, I'm asking you to take the closing moments of this service to minister to those who are here and give them what you have. In Jesus' name.